I know that she's nothing but nothing Nothing but a lover girl See the way she gives away those kisses She's everything you need and more Sucking on a cert, that ain't no dessert I cannot compete on an Good morning and welcome to episode 977 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, brought to you by the Play Index, baseballreference.com, and by our Patreon supporters. I'm Sam Miller, along with Ben Lindbergh of The Ringer. How are you, Ben? Doing all right. Great. Anything you want to talk about before we start talking about? Well, we got a couple follow-ups about our Andrew Miller discussion, which was in itself a follow-up to our Andrew Miller discussion. We're getting a lot of follow-ups on topics these days, I guess, because there's not all that much going on in baseball. So we can talk about the same things three or four times without anyone getting impatient. But we basically got a question from two people. So the first question was from Justin who said, if you really had five Andrew Millers, different guys, same stuff, would you face some sort of times through the order penalty? If so, would it be spoken? This guy has the same stuff as the last guy or subconscious. You don't even know why you're hitting the closer, but you are. And if so, what is the greatest number of Andrew Millers you would want before you would prefer a Darren O'Day or a Mark Melanson just for the different look? And similar question from Keith, who is currently in Zanzibar, Tanzania, and says, if all five Millers had the same pitches, would closer Miller be less effective because batters would potentially be getting their second or third look at the Miller repertoire? What do you think? Well, it depends whether we're talking about actual clones or people with the same stuff. I think maybe something like arm angle and delivery would matter. I don't know how big a part that is of the times through the order penalty and you don't even think there is a time through the order penalty, right? You think it, it might be more likely to be fatigue. Yeah, I, I lean that uh, that there is some of both, and I think I'm on the the more fatigue side um, of the spectrum than, than okay. most people are. Yeah, I think I'm, I lean more toward the familiarity side of the spectrum. So if we just say that it's familiarity mostly, then I think if you have five guys who look exactly like Andrew Miller, then... Yes, I suppose he he would be subject to the times through the order penalty. I don't I don't really see why not. So if it's five different guys like we talked about on the most recent episode, then maybe not. Maybe if, even if they have the same stuff, there would be enough different about them to disrupt that. But yeah, I mean, there would be a point at which I guess the the third or fourth Andrew Miller or whatever would be less effective because you've already seen Andrew Miller. Wouldn't it be fascinating to see at the end of like I don't know, three three weeks, three months, three years, ten years. How different the Andrew Millers are. I mean, <laughs> they might by after five years. For all we know, you know, one might might be throwing a totally different pitch. They like they uh-huh. might they might just go off on these totally different journeys. Partly yeah. because of their roles, and partly because of lived experiences. Yeah, or I really, or... <laughs> I want to see it. I want to have somebody create a. Uh, like a simulated future for <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or it could happen Millers. because of what we're talking about. If there is this familiarity effect, then each Andrew Miller would have some incentive to differentiate himself somehow from the other Andrew Millers. So 
I don't know what that would be. Maybe it would just be changing up your pitch selection or or yeah, or working on a new pitch or changing your arm angle or moving to a different part of the rubber or who knows what. But yeah, you're right. It would be fascinating to see how they changed. But uh but basically if if they didn't change, if they were all the same, then yes, right? I mean there would be an effect and and maybe the Andrew Miller who comes in after the other Andrew Millers would not be as good as the first Andrew Miller was. Yeah. I I still think um, if you had your choice between a fifth Andrew Miller and the fifth best reliever in baseball, uh-huh. who would you choose? Would you well, would the would the familiarity make the fifth Andrew Miller and the other Andrew Millers worse enough that it would close the gap between Andrew Miller and the fifth best reliever? Yeah, I think so. Because, I mean, what is he? Is he the first best now? Even if he's the first best now, the, the gap isn't so enormous. So, so yeah, I think so. It's not so enormous, but you don't. You probably don't think that the familiarity effect would also be enormous. If we're using enormous as our standard, then both of those would be not it's, enormous. Yeah, but it's, I mean, it's, if, unless we think there's some reason why it would be smaller than it is for the typical starter, say, then... It's pretty significant. I think it's significant enough to overcome the difference between best reliever and fifth best reliever. So, so yeah, I'd choose someone else. Okay. All right. Another quick thing. The Rookie of the Year award voting was released yesterday. Michael Fulmer won. Are you surprised by how easily he won? I'm sort of surprised by how easily he won. I mean, we, I, I am. Yeah, we talked about it at some point toward the end of the year, whether Fulmer should win or Gary Sanchez should win or who would win. And I think we basically concluded that, I mean, they were essentially even. I think you could even make a case that Sanchez was maybe more valuable, but we wondered whether he would be penalized for the fact that he accrued all of that value in a short time period, whereas Fulmer was up all season and was accumulating innings. And it's hard to look at just, you know, the number of innings he had versus the number of plate appearances Sanchez had and and not penalize Sanchez, even though in theory, you you really shouldn't. Or did we did we agree that uh, that you shouldn't? Because what when he wasn't playing, we talked about like their their substitutes, like what would have happened when they weren't playing and whether their teams were worse off in some way that should count against them. But but we weren't going to hold it against Sanchez because it wasn't his fault that he wasn't there, right? Like he just didn't get called up because the Yankees had other guys till they traded some guys. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I think voters like to vote for playing time even when they don't have to, I think. Yeah, I, I should mention what the actual voting was. That There were 30 votes and Fulmer got 26 of the first place votes and Sanchez got the other four. So, so, so if really a player, wasn't close at all. If a player had, and we have some differences in the wars here that is significant if you're actually deciding how to had a vote but if you had let's say you had uh four players who all had exactly three wins above replacement and they all had exactly three wins above replacement on on every model of war so uh, you cannot use uh war discrepancies for your argument at all they're all identical by war and you have one guy who was on the opening day roster uh, and played uh, 162 games to produce three war uh, one guy who was called up at the uh, uh, let's say uh, that's, a, that's a loud crow, yeah, isn't it? <laughs> one, one guy who was uh, called up at the uh, you know at the Super Two deadline. Uh, one guy who was called up uh, you know around the the trade deadline and only played like you know seventy games. 
Uh, and then one guy who was called up with three weeks to go. And in those three weeks, he was still a three-win player. Still a three-win player in 20 games, okay? So we're talking about a 20-win player over the course of a year. <laughs> yeah. Who? What is? Break down the voting. How many first-place votes go to each of those four? Hmm. Uh, well, I mean, I would have answered differently probably a, a month ago. But now having seen what Fulmer did, I, I would think that the— the late season sensation gets the fewest, even though he was the most impressive in his small sample. So I would say it would probably go something like, uh, yeah, I don't know, you know, 20 and 7 and 3 or something. 27, 3 and 0. Yeah. Well, yeah. oh, wait, there were four. There were four different guys. There were four. There's a guy with 160 games played, 120 games played, 80 games played, and, and then we'll say 30 games played. He's a September call up. Okay. So those uh-huh. are your four. Okay. Well, if there's a candidate who's fairly close, then maybe it would be a little more split. So mm, uh, I don't know. I'll say the winner gets half the first place votes and then the other 15 go, uh, I don't know, 10 and four and one or something. Yeah. Even I wouldn't vote for the September call up. I don't think. I think that I, I don't put a big premium on playing time for rookies or for Cy Young's. But I do want to have a big enough number that I don't feel like it was just a hot small sample fluke. That uh, you you should have to you should have to produce something that looks real. And so I probably would even myself not vote for the uh, Barry Bonds September uh, candidate. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you could say that if there had been a larger sample, he still would have offered some value in that sample. Probably he might not have played at the same pace, but. He still would have been better than nothing, and so that would have moved him ahead of all the other guys. Uh, yeah, except to the degree that I don't trust anything over the course of a month. I, uh-huh. I what is the uh, isn't that Voros's law? Wasn't that Voros's yeah. law that yes. any major leaguer can do anything over the course of you know 150 plate appearances? Plate appearances or yeah, yeah, right. mm-hmm. yeah. So I uh, so for that reason, I almost would hardly consider it data, but. The you know if it's over the course of a few months, I probably would say that that is a that's a season that's a legit season. Dude mm-hmm. hit twenty home runs. Yeah, I think I we I mean we did this already, but I feel like once you get to twenty home runs, it's a season. You get you get to call it a season. He did it. Yeah, uh-huh. he hit twenty homers. If that if Gary Sanchez had started opening day and finished the season with twenty homers, he would be the rookie of the year right now. A catcher, same rate stats. Doesn't even matter. No, no, no. Forget the rate stats. Give him a seven, seven fifty OPS. Give Uh him, you know, give him lousy numbers the rest of the year. He, if he were a catcher in New York with twenty home runs, who played the whole year, he would have been rookie of the year. He would have won. Yeah, because there's a big, there's a big, um, there's a big bias against giving it to pitchers, and so I think Sanchez would have won. I think, I think Sanchez could have ended up with a seven. 755 OPS and 20 homers over the course of a full season and exactly three war, which is what he had, and he would have won. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, it surprises me that it wasn't closer because Sanchez was a really great story. One of the most interesting stories, one of the most watchable players of the second half of the season. 
and, you know, linked to sort of the Yankees rebuilding efforts and they're actually trading people and, hey, they made room for some young guys and now the young guy is the best player in baseball over a certain period and the hottest hitter we've seen for a while, at least other than Bryce Harper. So, yeah, I thought people would sort of want to vote for that story, especially since the stats made it a perfectly legitimate decision. So surprised that uh, more people didn't do that. Yep. All right. Uh, on the other hand, uh, we're also living in a world where the f- the best defensive player in Major League Baseball was determined to be a first baseman. Yes. Right. So. <laughs> yeah. This is just, just, feel, just uh, not feeling not feeling voting lately. Yeah. <laughs> no. All right. All right. How many votes? If you had a platinum glove vote, how many votes? down before you would give a give it to a first baseman before you would vote for a first baseman like would you vote for every shortstop over the best first baseman in baseball or would that feel unsatisfying to you would you still you know vote for these guys partially on how they compare to their peers at their position and you know i mean would rizzo be closer to the 25th guy you'd put on your ballot or closer to the um uh you know 250th guy you'd put I think he'd be closer to 25th than 250th, but he'd be he'd be below 25th. That's yeah. for sure. He is yeah. fun to watch. I he is super fun to watch. And if somebody put him at 25th, if someone put him at 15th, I would I would go. Oh, that's how you that's so that's your priority. Cool. And I nod. But I don't even know how they vote for these. I don't even know if there is a ballot. It might be. I was just looking through it. I saw an old tweet that I had from August of 2011 in which um, you have been all over the old tweets lately i I have i've been looking for for something and uh (laughs) that that required a lot of uh, scrolling and clicking anyway in august of 2011 i was trying to get let me see if i get real quick uh (laughs) all right august 2011 uh let's all vow to get super angry about the major league baseball delivery of the month voting for august (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, so this was a award. I don't know if they still do it, but it went to the best reliever of the month, and they would give it every month. So then, I so then a few weeks later, they announced, and I said, "Oh, just saw the full voting for MLB Delivery Man of the Month award for August. Valverde second, embarrassing." And then I went on about why Jose Valverde didn't deserve to be second. And anyway, was that uh, sponsored by like DHL or something? Uh, I'm sure it was. Uh, but the best thing about it is that the... Oh, so here we go. Uh, Kimbrel was the winner. Wow, there's no... Um, the press release doesn't say who it was. It was DHL. Okay. And yet, they didn't put it in the... In the, in the how did it's they actually, not put it in the press release? Uh, quote, the DHL presents the Major League Baseball Delivery Man of the Dude, Month Award. I love <laughs> That's that, the full I, name of the award. I love that you guessed DHL, too. It's, I must have I, I must have had some residual memory of that award because I don't DHL, think I would have guessed if were, DHL. If you were voting for the sponsor of the Delivery Man of the Month award, DHL would be a, at best fourth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Is DHL even still around? DHL was briefly the the most likely sponsor of whatever commercial you were watching, and I, <laughs> I haven't seen a DHL ad in a while. Does it still exist? No, I don't know. It's a, okay. So the Delivery Man award was from 2005 through 2013, so Uh they do not give it anymore, and maybe that's why we don't know whether DHL exists anymore. 
they no longer sponsor this uh, extremely popular award. <laughs> so, but, but the, it does still exist. <laughs> all right. So the great thing about this award, though, is that it was determined by, I believe, a panel of four. And one of the four was, quote, sometimes Daryl Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, major league center field, retired major league center fielder, uh, was an expert on relief pitchers, occasional panelists. And also (laughs) we should note, uh, the late Daryl Hamilton. Yeah. Anyway, let's transition back out of that. (laughs) Daryl. Uh, so DHL delivery man of the month, uh, platinum glove, platinum glove. Yeah. So I don't know who votes for the platinum glove and therefore I don't know if I have to care at all about it. Is this part of the gold glove, uh, schedule? Is this? Do they uh, announce it at the Gold Glove ceremonies or something? Yes, it is part of the Gold Glove award. Let's, so, is so it possible see. that it's just, you know what? My guess is, here's a guess. Here's just a guess. I have not looked this up. My guess is it is whoever wins their Gold Glove by the largest margin. Oh, yeah. Just a I, guess. I was going to guess that too. Apparently, and this explains <laughs> the winner, to determine the Rawlings Platinum Glove Award winners, fans can only select one player among the Rawlings Gold Glove Award winners from each league. So it's a fan voting thing. It's a fan voting thing. So the fans pick one of the Gold Glove Award winners to be the Platinum Glove Award winner. Okay. <laughs> All right. And that, that explains how you get a popular first baseman as the best fielder in baseball. That's fine. Yeah. So, okay. So I'm going to let that one be. I'm going to. I'm just going to not care. Okay. To me, the Although easiest way to do this is just not to, not to care. It says there's also the, the Sabre Defensive Index, which is part of it too. So that <sighs> takes into account defensive stats. I, I don't know. It is a joy. I mean, it really is a joy to watch Anthony Rizzo play first base. He's my first. Yeah, he's my favorite first it. baseman in a while mm-hmm. to watch. He's very imaginative. Uh, all right, then. Anything else? No. So I wanted to talk about my favorite lines, my favorite stat pages in indie ball this off uh, this season. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I went through uh, the big s- six leagues, I guess, uh, the Atlantic League, the American Association, Can Am League, Frontier League, Pacific Association, which is what the Stompers were in, and the Pecos League, uh, looking for my favorite lines um, because. For one thing, Indie Ball uh, cultivates some very interesting lines, and for another, because I wanted to see uh, how extreme baseball performances get in some of these leagues. Uh, so I have here uh, up to eight that I'm going to uh, to, to mention, and uh, so I'm going to uh, start by I'm what I'm going to do is first I'm going to send you the page of each one. You look at them and, and you just let me know if it jumps out at you why I liked that line. All right. So first we have Tim Holmes. Oh, okay, I know Tim Holmes. You do. So, you your your sources. You have your scout sources. Have you talked to him about him? I well, Tim Holmes. He Were started, you asked about him? Did oh, did a, Yan- a Yankee scout asked you about him? Didn't he? Yes, that's right. Yeah, uh, Tim Holmes started the season in the Stompers League, the Pacific Association, playing for Vallejo, and he was great. And uh, in 14 and a third innings, he struck out 30 guys, yeah. <laughs> which is really crazy. Yeah. And yeah, then I uh, I got an email from someone with the Yankees. I don't, I guess, who knew about the book and thought we would know something about Tim Holmes. As it was, I, I didn't actually know anything about Tim Holmes because he wasn't in the league when we were. 
But I asked Stompers broadcaster Tim Livingston about Tim Holmes. And uh, if you want, I also asked Tim about uh, Tim. Okay. And I can first, uh, first off, you read yours and then I'll read mine. See how different Okay. Uh, so he said, fastball in the low 90s, big time power curve. He's been the best reliever in the league, although he's been used a ton. And uh, that was the scouting report from Tim. All right, here's what I got. Big right-hander, low 90s fastball, Santos-like movement on power curve slider. Have no idea how he made it to this league. He was filthy. Could go multiple innings too. Good command of both pitches. Like to think that if he gets on a throwing program, he has a shot. Rookie league numbers are promising. We'll get pushed hard as a 23-year-old next year, I imagine. So, yeah, Holmes was... Um, I actually found a, an article of uh, him as, like, this great comeback story in high school. Uh, hmm. He was a he was homeschooled growing up, and I, I guess he was pitching for some high school team, uh, and his, he broke his arm mid-pitch, which is the worst... Thing, like to 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 watch to like if you're if you're a local reporter writing about high school baseball and you watch a uh, kid uh, b- quote break the growth plate in his elbow in the middle of a pitch oh, <laughs> you're gonna remember that and then you're yeah. gonna write about him when he comes back and they did so uh he was uh he went to i think he went to some schools didn't get drafted and uh, yeah, I also wonder how he ended up in Vallejo. It's it'd be interesting to to know. I found his college page, but there was no bio and no stats. He went to a small school, so I don't have any idea how he was discovered. But uh, the reason that I have him on here on this list to talk about is that he struck out uh, eighteen point eight batters per nine. Uh, which is, you know, more than two per inning, obviously, and would be a record in the majors. Might be a record in in any league. I'm not sure. I haven't checked uh, in any uh, affiliated league. But uh, somewhat surprising to me that uh, there really weren't any players outside of him who were pushing the, like, kind of record for strikeout rate. I thought that you'd have... um, You'd have various players who were, you know, simply put in the wrong league, who were in a better league, a worse league than they should have been, or who were like extreme type pitchers who, you know, were throwing 98 to guys who had literally never seen anything higher than 96 and would just strike everybody out. And maybe they'd be wild or maybe they'd get end up getting promoted quickly, but they do it. But really, you have Holmes who struck out 30 and 14 innings before he was signed. And then... You have a guy who struck out 16.3 per nine innings in 22 innings. And then you have to go all the way down to have any sort of reasonable sample. You have a a guy at 14.4 strikeouts per nine in 15 innings. And then you have a guy at 14 in 48 innings. So really, oddly, there aren't really any extremes here except for Holmes. And even Holmes was 14 innings in relief and then he was... He was gone, so we don't even know if he would have picked that up. I mean, there are various major leaguers who average 18 strikeouts per nine over 14 inning samples um, every year. I bring it up just because it sort of oddly the there aren't as many extreme indie league stats as I thought. Baseball turns out to be uh, kind of s- limited by the same statistical boundaries um, no matter where you go in a way. Hmm. Well, all right. Well, Tim Holmes was signed by the Yankees, and he gave up one run in 15 and a third innings in the rookie league. And I asked if uh, you and I could take credit for drawing their (laughs) attention to the Pacific Association, and 
they said that they were giving all the credit to Tim. So. <laughs> all right. Did, can Tim take credit for drawing? Yeah, he drew. But, well, did he draw? He Right, like I wonder if he gets credit for our book. Yeah, he should. He should, yeah. All right, next guy you have sent me, Tim Brown Uh huh. of the Wichita Wingnuts in the American Association. So this is the anti-Tim Holmes, I guess. He struck out only 43 guys in 124 and two-thirds innings. Is that why I'm looking at him? Uh, no. Okay. Oh, is it because he didn't walk anyone? Yes. <laughs> he, he walked five guys in those innings? Yeah, he walked five guys in those <laughs> That's innings. That's crazy. Isn't is that, that crazy? Uh, is that better than Carlos Silva or is that the same as Carlos Silva? 0.4 walks per nine innings. Is that better? Carlos Silva's peak was 0.4. Yeah, he had. But oddly enough, that was his only year under 1.5 walks per yeah. nine. So he, uh-huh. had, he had one year where he walked nine batters in 188 and a third innings. Two of which were intentional. I bet he was so mad. <laughs> yeah. Ah, okay. So Tim Brown did have a lower walk rate than Carlos Silva as a percentage of batters based. I actually dis- I actually first noticed Brown not because of the walks, but because of the strikeout rate, like you said. He had the lowest strikeout rate in all of independent baseball of any significant innings at 3.1. And then I sort of scrolled over going, have a good ERA, have a good ERA. And he did. He had a pretty good ERA, especially for that league. Uh, and that's when I noticed that the walks are actually the story there. Much more interesting. He had uh, he managed to have like uh, one of the best strikeout to walk rates in all of minor league uh, in independent baseball uh, while striking out three batters per nine. And there is a um, there is a extremely long profile of him at minor league sports report dot com in which the uh, most of the thing is about how uh, his nickname is the professor. Uh, mm-hmm. And I wonder if this means that he's a professor at all. Do you think that we just default <laughs> that if you're not very good at uh, throwing hard, but you don't walk guys, that we just ascribe intelligence to that? Is that is that a, is that a very lazy bias that 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 I would mean, be described as? Intelligence? Yeah. Well, he's been pitching since he was 22, so I'm guessing he's not an actual professor, but <laughs> he probably. I bet he has, uh, I mean, he must have some sort of pitchability or smarts or something. To does he with. I would think. I, I would think he probably does. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he just doesn't walk anyone and that's enough. But And this was kind of out of character for him, too. I mean, he's he always has a low walk rate, but this was his lowest ever by far. So I would guess he's he's got some smarts. Yeah, there's probably a bias toward thinking that someone like him has smarts, though. Yeah, the Wichita Wingnuts, uh, let's see, uh, are looking to become the first team to repeat as champions in the American Association since 2007. It will take all kinds of talent and will to duplicate the success of the previous season. It takes intelligence, skill, commitment, and desire. Those are all adjectives that made Greg Maddox a star in the <laughs> of majors. Course. They are the yeah. very things that make Tim Brown the Greg Maddox of independent, Mad Dog Brown. <laughs> of independent baseball. The Greg Maddox <laughs> of independent baseball. And uh, Kevin Hooper, friend, our friend uh, Kevin Hooper, described yeah. him as Greg Maddox-like. Mm-hmm. Uh, All right. So there you go. He was with the Phillies for 24 innings in 2010, and he did just fine, but uh, didn't get a, a shot above rookie league. Yeah, there's. Um, I spent a lot of my of my youth wanting people to believe I was smart, uh, wanting to to have people think I was smart. 
And if I'd known all I had to do was throw strikes to, to have that reputation, I would have probably yeah. read less, <laughs> thrown more strikes. Yeah. All right. Let's see. Who else do I like? This one, I don't want you to say his name. If right. you could. Just to, out of politeness. I don't think we need to, <laughs> to bury this guy. All right. You should have it. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, those are some ugly numbers right there. Yeah, this was the worst line that I could find. And I had, um, I think that I probably missed some of the, you know, one third of an inning type careers that might have happened uh-huh. last year. Uh, and this is not much longer than that. Uh, and in fact, if I'd looked at the previous year, this uh, same person, you don't see it on his page because uh, Baseball Reference thinks he's two different people. But last year, he threw one third of an inning for the same team. Uh, allowed three hits, including a homer, one walk, four of the five men he he faced reached, and he allowed two runs. So he had an ERA of 54, a whip of 12, 81 hits per nine. And so that was was last year. But you want to read his numbers this year? Sure. Six and a third innings, 12 runs, only 10 earned, uh, and uh, 12 walks, and uh, only three strikeouts. So that is a 14.21 ERA with uh, 17.1 walks per nine. Right, and what he's especially notable for is actually not just the runs allowed, not just the walks. It's the it's the full complement of wildness. In six innings, yeah. he had 12 walks, four hit by pitch, four, <laughs> four wild pitches. Four wild pitches, yeah. And it's a 3.158 whip. Yeah, and um, I don't know if you do you remember him? Nope. He came and tried out for us. He was friends with Baps, I think. He knew Baps from their hometown. He came and tried out for us uh, one day and I watched him throw a bullpen and it was a, it was, it was kind of close. Like it was a perfectly, we didn't sign him. We, we didn't need him. We didn't sign him. And we all agreed, uh, Parker, Theo and, and me agreed that he wasn't going to be adding anything to our team. Then that day he showed up uh, on our opposing team's roster. He was playing uh, right field for them after pitching, uh, hmm. throwing a bullpen tryout for us. Uh, and he threw, um, at the time, he threw 88, 89 in the bullpen, which is pretty normal for our league. He had a, a hard curveball that he couldn't get, he couldn't sort of tame, but had a lot of snap on it. And he had very little pitching experience. And I think that if he'd been in spring training, for us, there's a pretty good chance he would have made it out of there. People would have said, ah, oh, he's raw, but we'll work with him. Uh, and uh, he ended up, now his his throwing career, his pitching career is, you know, six and two-thirds innings with, you know, everything I said. Uh, so, uh, so it's kind of close. Like, uh, the difference between being the worst pitcher on this spreadsheet and, having, and being totally normal in this spreadsheet is not that, is not that wide. Yeah. I, so I feel a bit bad for him. Let me see. I got a Tim Scouting report here. Tried out oh, tried out for the Stompers again this year. Quote, big curveball but couldn't handle it. Straight fastball in the low mid-80s. Ooh, that's not that's not good. So that's it. That's all the scouting report I got. <laughs> that's all you need, I guess. All right. Uh, let's see. This one you're going to be delighted by. All right. Ah, oh, I know this guy. Yeah, friend of the friend of the book. Yeah, this is uh, the famous Zach Pace, who may or may not have reported the outcome of the pivotal hit of the Stompers season accurately, played for the San Rafael Pacifics. So 
here he is. I don't know what he did this season, so this is new to me. He was 31, played for the Pacifics again. Wow. Okay, so this time he <laughs> had a 234 batting average. Then do the slugging. A, do the slugging. Do the slugging. <laughs> well, 234 batting, 264 slugging. All right, now the reveal. 431 on go. base. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I know. Wow. 84 walks. I know. And 38 strikeouts. <laughs> and his nickname, or, you know, when he would be introduced at the park, it would be as on base pace. And so he, he lived up to that nickname despite otherwise being really bad. Wow. Plus, look at his, look at his hit by pitches. Oh, okay. So 12 hit by pitches in, also. 70, in 77 games. So basically, he got, if you count walks and hit by pitches together, he had 96 free passes in 374 plate appearances. So more than a quarter <laughs> of, of them. And uh, nearly a quarter were walks alone. And this is a guy who uh, hit 234 and slugged 264 and also could <laughs> steal a base. And so yeah. there, you had. 15 out of 17. You had no batter in the entire league, I would say, who gave you more incentive to just throw strikes. Um, yeah. And yet, in spite of that, in spite of that, he walked in a quarter of his plate appearances, which is uh, the most in all of independent baseball. The gap between his on-base percentage and his batting average is the biggest in all of independent baseball. Uh, he is so, so good at one thing, and I, <laughs> yeah. I love it. I yeah, just, it was very frustrating oh, to face him. People I mean, not him. only was he an excellent center fielder, but he would just crouch over at the plate, just, you know, not a big guy to begin with, and then he would crouch over and just take everything that was close and it was very frustrating it seemed like he got more calls than the usual player maybe it just seemed that way because he would just take everything and it was so frustrating when he would walk but he was definitely I don't know if he's looking for walks but if he were looking for walks he really couldn't find them any better than he already does yeah oh yeah I the thing that I missed the least about that experience is watching pitchers walk Zach Pace. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, they would all they would all know going in just throw strikes just right down the middle, and then it'd be you know three one before you blinked, um, yeah. and you had no chance. He also um, were you there for either of the games he pitched? Don't think so. He pitched in mop up work against us. Oh yeah, yeah. Twice. I, and yeah, yeah. He he was mm-hmm. great because everybody else comes in and wants to to show how good they would be as pitchers. <laughs> Yeah. And he didn't. He would just come in and he'd just throw, he'd just play catch. And he'd go, yeah. you know, I, I know why I'm here. And he would throw, you know, high 50s because he wasn't even trying to throw hard. Just throw a pitch right down the middle with no velocity, no wind up. <laughs> just just like he was asking the umpire for a new ball over and over <laughs> and over. It was, yeah. it was wonderful. All right. Man, I... S- <laughs> I love that. I love Zach Pace's <laughs> on base percentage. It's crazy. Nobody and and again, I part of the reason I went into this exercise is because I thought I was going to find a bunch of guys like that. And it is true that there are more. You know, like Mike Jacobs. Remember Mike Jacobs? Yes. Okay, so Mike Jacobs. What do you as a major leaguer? What was he like? He was like a like a Brad Eldridge or something like that. Yeah, but better. Like a, but yeah, like he had some... Better he had for a, the league. Yeah, he was he a had, first baseman mm-hmm. and he hit for lots of power and he'd strike out a lot, but he was one of the best hitters in the league in our year. Exactly. Mike Jacobs now is sort of a Zach Pace hitter. He hits for a low batting average. He hits for little power. He draws a ton of walks. He's 35 years old or so. 
uh, and he's found like <laughs> this sort of little way to exploit independent league baseball. So I thought that there would be um, ever extreme examples of that. And pace is extreme. He's ex- as extreme as that concept can go. Mike Jacobs this year in the Atlantic League, 236, 320, 326. Anyway, for the most part, nobody's doing it as well as pace. The limits, again, the limits of what you can do in baseball seem to be sort of firm no matter what the level of competition is. All right, this one is Martin Cronin. All right, Martin Cronin, 6'5", pitcher for the Stompers this season, 24 years old, and Martin Cronin... Walked more batters than he struck out. Never a good sign. Uh, you have not. You have not found why I sent him to you, though. Okay. He allowed twenty-seven hits in nineteen and two-thirds innings. No, oh, you're close. I found it. Okay, you found it. <laughs> he allowed twenty-one runs in six earned runs. Wait. <laughs> Are we sure that's right? <laughs> I'm totally sure it's a, right. I was following I was following it throughout the year. A 2.75 ERA and a 9.61 RA. <laughs> that's ridiculous. <laughs> it is ridiculous. <laughs> he had the highest unearned run average in baseball in independent league baseball. And I don't think that he is entirely blameless here. I don't think he is entirely to blame here. He had, a, a Tim, as Tim puts it, ground ball pitcher, and we had some pretty terrible infield defense. One bad outing where a couple errors led to a huge inning, and so he ended up staying in to mop up two. He was better than the stats. And by the way, uh, Martin was a player that I, when I went to the tryout this year, I advised Theo to draft, and I was very excited when Theo drafted him. He seemed like a really mm-hmm. great kid. He was uh, close friends with Sean. He uh, yeah. looked like a pitcher. Two point seven five ERA. Two point seven five ERA. Right. <laughs> and I, I feel like um, partly this is interesting just because of uh, what an amazing statistical fluke or or whatever it is, and how much it says about indie ball and how many unearned runs there are and all that. But also that, like, I imagine that Martin, if he doesn't pitch again or if he does pitch again he will live his whole life in this sort of limbo where he doesn't know if he was good or not (laughs) one stat says he was and it's the most famous pitching stat there is it says he was good and then another stat which maybe we could just sum up as his experience tells him that he was he was often allowing runs and he could go either way on that. And I, uh, I don't know how he'll remember his career. I don't know how his career will be remembered. But like, there probably are no answers for him. He's just sort of stuck with this kind of unsatisfactory conclusion on his baseball career. Yeah. All right. This one, uh, real quick, there's really nothing to, to even notice about it, except you can just read the slash and then that'll be that. All right. Daniel Aldrich in the Pecos League, born in Würzburg, Germany. Yeah, I think that went to college here. A uh, military base, maybe. I'm guessing it was. Yeah. It's just a guess. He, uh, The background on him is that he went to college, same school where Brett Gardner went. He um, was signed as an undrafted free agent by the Yankees, but not as a senior sign, which is the normal undrafted free agent. He signed as a redshirt sophomore, hmm. which is unusual. They signed him for um, at least $150,000. Um, with their leftover bonus pool money, I guess, or something. Uh, and 
so he ended up uh, playing for the Yankees very, very, very briefly. And now he's uh, in the Pecos League. And what did he hit this year, Ben? In 114 plate appearances, he hit 421, 518. I don't even know how to say. <laughs> 1,011 <laughs> slugging. Yeah. How many home runs did he have? He had 17 home runs in 23 games. Yeah. Uh, that just happens sometimes <laughs> in the Pecos League. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> they, they make fun lines there. Yeah. Yeah. So his team's collective line so he had like a 1500 something ops and his team's collective line was 951 so it's a it's a league where everyone hits really well but he hit really well even relative to everyone else hitting really well yep slugged 1011 1011 <laughs> in a in a professional baseball league yeah. he is uh 25 years old he ended up also playing this year uh, I don't know if it was before or after, I'm guessing. Well, actually, it was probably before because he played there last year. In the Frontier League, which is two, just two stops higher. Just two. Now, granted, totally different environment. Pecos League has like, you know, 280-foot center fields, and it's dry and crazy, and no pitchers go there. So it's partly that too. But he went two levels up to the Frontier League. And for Lake Erie, he hit 160, 192, 347, which is a 539 OPS. The year before, he was also in Lake Erie, 171, 259, 237. The year before that, he was playing for Windy City in the Frontier League, 239, 255, 304. So basically, he has three stints totaling 250 plate appearances in the Frontier League. And he's a, you know, a low 500s OPS guy. Uh, and then uh, just dropping down two levels into a league that plays on the moon, and he gets to slug 1,011. And the goal for all of these guys is to move up, 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 up. They only want to move up. But there is something to be said for getting to live a summer of your life where you get to slug 1,011. It doesn't matter where. The, for that month, you feel, I have to assume, like you can do anything and that you were put on this earth to mash baseballs. <laughs> yeah. And I would take that. I would be I I would totally take that. I I feel like uh there's not a lot of, not enough indie league players who find the league they thrive in and just leave it at that and just mash. <laughs> Probably because you don't make any money. So you can't keep doing That's that for true. very long. <laughs> That's true. You're right. All right. Last one. Ah. <laughs> Jose Canseco. Yeah, last one is Jose Canseco, who uh, had a more extended engagement in the Pacific Association this year than he did. Well, actually, he, he didn't. <laughs> I guess it turns out that he, he didn't. He was supposed to. But Canseco played for Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh uh, Diamonds, Aaron Miles' managed team. And he played seven games. He hit 143, 176, 143. Which I feel somewhat justified. I I was uh, pretty vocal before he showed up on our team for those two games that he was not going to be good. I didn't just knowing what I knew about baseball. I mean, he is physically in great shape. He looks different than everybody in the league. He looks like an athlete in ways that many of them don't. Uh, he is he is impressive, and he hit the ball very far in batting practice. But I I I put my my marker down on he is not going to be able to hit in this league. And sure enough, he wasn't able to hit in that league. Over the course of two seasons, he had, uh, what, 50 plate appearances. Uh, and in those 50 plate appearances, he had eight hits, um, which is a 160 batting average. 
Uh, well, it's not quite. He drew uh, two walks in that time. He hit one home run in that time. He had no other extra base hits in that time. Uh, so in fact, even a great, really, like, really, I mean, really, one of the one of the all-time great players, if you set the denominator fairly low, uh, go to maybe 1,000. Jose Canseco was one of the 1,000 best players who ever played the game. And he's only 51, which <laughs> seems seems only, except in baseball, when it's night and day. It's the difference between everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, stayed in shape, uh, still huge, still knows how to, you know, see a baseball coming out of a pitcher's hand, but cannot hit these guys who are six levels below rookie ball, uh, five levels below rookie ball. Yeah. But that's not what I wanted to mention, Ben. I wanted to mention his pitching line. <laughs> okay. He, uh, he pitched three games. Don't look, don't look, don't look, don't look. <laughs> okay. Have you looked? No. All right. He pitched three games for Pittsburgh this year. I saw him pitch uh, the previous year in relief for Pittsburgh. So I sort of have a scouting report on him. But uh, I will tell you, he pitched three games for them. He uh, he threw nine innings for them. I want you to guess what Jose Canseco's ERA in the Pacific Association would be. Huh. So he's throwing lots of knuckleballs, right? I would. Yeah, he, <laughs> he threw mostly knuckleballs when I saw him. Yeah. So I'm guessing it was somewhere between Martin Cronin's ERA and Martin Cronin's run at run <laughs> average, but uh, I'll guess it was closer to Martin Cronin's RA than his ERA. I, I mean, it's, it could be great. Uh, yeah. I don't know, but yeah, all right, could be. It's double Martin Cronin's RA. Oh my okay. gosh, he had, <laughs> he had an ERA of seventeen point three six. He faced fifty four batters. He walked thirteen of them. Gave up fourteen hits. Baps went yard on him. He had a 2.9 whip and gave up in his nine innings, he gave up 19 runs. And if there is one other thing that I learned about baseball players that didn't get in the book, it is that every single one of them thinks that they have a uh, knuckleball that would work in a game. Every (laughs) position player is sure that his knuckleball is uh, good enough to to get out maybe not maybe not all the way there yet they're still working on it but they all think they have a good knuckleball and jose canseco thought he had a good knuckleball (laughs) and and he got crushed tim's scouting report on canseco the first time that they faced him he struck out the side and then he fell apart a baps hit a grand slam off him there was an eight run inning involved knuckleball didn't do anything 70 miles an hour on the fastball hit a bunch of guys yeah, that that's true too. He hit six batters in nine innings, <laughs> and uh, in two years in the Pacific Association, he threw seventeen innings and hit eleven batters, <laughs> which is a, I'm sure a record. <laughs> wow! So you checked all the leagues, but I guess the most interesting lines were in the Pacific Association and the the Pecos. We only had one non Pecos or Pacific stat, right? Because I guess the the higher you go, the less interesting the stats tend to be because you're actually closer to major league level. Yeah, what I what I found is that at the at the Atlantic and the American Association, in fact the stats were more tightly bunched than in the majors. Like you'd have you know very 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 few guys with an OPS even over 900 and very few guys with an OPS even under like 650 and I, I mean, I want to say that that's because if you're any good, you move up. And if you're any bad, they have extremely short leashes on you uh, and they just cut you. But it didn't even seem like for the smaller samples, there was a, a lot of extremes that somehow these leagues are really tightly bunched in talent. Mm-hmm. And I, I might spend a little bit of today trying to come up with a hypothesis for why that would be. 
All right, so this is what we do at this time of year. We review the interesting independent league stat lines. I've wanted to do this for the entire year. I've, I just finally got around to it. I wanted to do this all year. <laughs> all right. Because early on in the year, Pace, he started the season 0 for 19 with 10 walks. Actually, if you go before that, he was at, at one point 0 for 14 with 10 walks plus a few hit by pitches. So he had he had a, a batting average of zero, a slugging percentage of zero, and an on-base percentage of 440. <laughs> and I just wanted to see how long he could keep that up. And the answer is for a season. <laughs> yeah. Pretty impressive. Yeah, he is basically he is basically the conversation we had yesterday about Eddie Goodell. Yeah. <laughs> and like what, how he'd be used. Yeah. The, the answer is he'd be used as the leadoff hitter on the Pacifics and he'd uh, play center field. Well, I hope they bring him back for next season. Me too. All right. So we will end there. You can support the podcast on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash effectively wild. Five listeners have already done so. Jared Tuckman, Marcus Callis, Xander Berg, Fresh Out the Kitchen, and Elisa Gale. Thanks to all of you. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Effectively Wild, and you can rate and review and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription to the Play Index at baseballreference.com. Use the coupon code BP when you sign up. You can buy our book, The Only Rules It Has to Work, our wild experiment building a new kind of baseball team. Check out the website at theonlyrulesithastowork.com. You can contact me and Sam at podcast at baseballperspectus.com or by messaging us through Patreon. We will be back shortly with another episode. So...